guess what? We're growing. I'm so excited to share the She's Off Script Masterclass series with you. You've asked for more in-depth tools and resources, and we've delivered. Join us on October 24th, starting at 10 a.m. Central for our free virtual Masterclass Summit. For our first summit, we're focused on creating generational wealth. We've lined up some money experts who will give you concrete tools, resources, and advice you can use right away. There'll be no fluff here. Whether you're a side hustler, business owner, or just looking for ways to expand your financial legacy, this summit is for you. To save your free seat, go to masterclass.sewaajpele.com. See you there. I didn't have a name. I was just a person, an everyday hero, as I refer to them. And then I just got a, a random phone call. Hey, we have someone who is going to be doing a show on VH1. Can you write a book in 30 days? And I was like, yes, I can, I can write a book in 30 days. Like, is the person available to talk to me or do I have to just kind of write this from whatever? And they're like, oh no, you know, she can talk to you. She's, and it was really just like conversation and I was able to convey her feelings and that was what kicked it off. And then one referral led to another. I never even made 13th and Joan a public thing. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to a refresh of episode 60 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we're revisiting one of your favorite episodes with Audrey Ori. Audrey is the CEO of Publishing House 13th and Joan and is also known as the queen of storytelling. For those of you who are still thinking about writing your first book, Audrey breaks down the process she takes her clients through as well as goes over the pros and cons of self-publishing versus traditional publishing. And as usual, we also go through the story of how she's been able to build such a phenomenal publishing house. Before we hear the rest of Audrey's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Audrey's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with the CEO of 13th and Joan, Audrey Ori. Audrey Ori, welcome to She's Off-Script. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad we could make this work. But for those of our listeners who haven't heard of you, could you share who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Audrey Ori, and I'm a celebrity ghostwriter, as well as the CEO of 13th and Joan Publishing House. Um, my clientele includes BH1, MTV, WeTV, Citric, BET, the NFL, and more importantly, I also write for Everyday Heroes. Um, my mission is to serve as a vessel for the untold stories of our souls. So how do you find yourself where you are today as the head of a publishing house? Yes, it was a journey. I actually um, started my publishing house because at the time I was very much into creating documentaries and um, I started it as a multimedia company so that I would be able to publish all of my work and um, really delve into film. But God said, 
you need to focus on books right now in this season. And so that is really how we started to, to get a run um, in terms of books and publishing in that realm. I went to publish my first book. I resigned from my job as an assistant principal and um, tried my hand at many different businesses, just really trying to find my way and try to understand entrepreneurship, which was not something that I had gone to school for. And through that, um, writing a book was one of the answers that I arrived at. And when I went to research and and kind of find out what it would take, I was told by a publishing company that it would take $10,000. And that was approximately nine years ago. And that was not, you know, the writing having been done for me. It was me doing all the writing and they were just kind of guiding me through. So it led me to start doing some really significant research on the process and to find a way, you know, to get my work to market, but maybe at a lower price point. Because at that time, after having resigned, having a family, $10,000 was not an investment that I was prepared to make. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a a springboard to um, 13th and Joan. Okay. So to take a little bit of a step back, I read that you published your first book at the age of 10 and actually made a profit doing that. Yes. How did that happen? Right. Actually, and I I did not know that I loved writing. Um, I wasn't aware of it. I had a class and uh, my teacher, I think I just talked too much in class. So I was the one where I think she said, you know, let's do something else with her. Let's find something else for her to do. So um, at the time, it was more of like a pullout and you would go to another classroom and it was called Gifted. And um, my teacher said, you can create anything that you want to create. You can write, paint, draw, take pictures. It doesn't matter. And I selected writing. And so um, she kept asking open-ended questions. What are you going to write about? What's important to you? Why? What is needed? You know, what kinds of things do you think that you need to be reading? And so I felt like at the time that Black women were not um, showcased as role models in my city. I felt like if I needed to decide upon a role model that I could point out really quickly that I didn't, wasn't able to do that. So I wanted to be able to do that and point those women out. So at the time I interviewed them, I selected them, I went through a process of kind of researching and um, the book turned out to be Profiles of Achievement Accomplished Black Women in That City. And I hosted a book signing. The media came out. Like, it was amazing because it's all the things that I actually do for a living, the way that I make a life right now at 10 years old. But what I learned is that stories can be monetized and stories make people stop and pay attention. And so those two pieces of information taught me a lot at a very young age about the importance of stories and books. So how was that talent that you found just naturally came to you, nurtured in you as a 10-year-old? You know, um, I sometimes got invitations to be like a guest speaker at a youth service at church or, um, you know, writing reports and things like that. They just kind of came naturally. I was really interested in people's stories for whatever reason. So whenever we were studying people, you know, biographies, I took a liking to that, whereas some of my classmates had interest in other things. So I think it was innate. Um, Also, my mother was an avid reader. I did not have a relationship with my father growing up, but I learned later on that he was an amazing writer and I, I didn't know that. So I learned, even my mom credits him 
um, as having given me the gift. She said he wrote so eloquently. And so I think it was just a, you know, God-given, parent-given thing. So knowing that you had a passion for writing and then you'd also had a taste of the monetization of writing, why is it that you decided to go into a career as an educator? Sure. I honestly, my grandmother was an educator. My mother was an educator. I chose something that I felt was safe. I really did not um, think about entrepreneurship. I didn't see myself as an entrepreneur. I had not really known that in my family structure. And so I was really just playing it safe. And today I do everything except play it safe. So I look back at that that young lady and, you know, I always wonder, why did you? Why did you play it so safe at the time? It was just what I knew. Um, and I really neglected writing for quite some time. I only wrote when it was necessary, you know, different assignments. And I also had a teacher in high school who told me that I was not going to be a successful writer in college because I did not subscribe to her method of, um, you know, what she wanted us to write. I was aware of the format, but I just felt like creatively there could be so much more. So I really kind of disobeyed the assignment. And um, I remember my mom being very angry and she talked to her about, you know, not speaking um, things like that into my life, but it didn't resonate with me at the time, the importance of, of all of those things taking place. It really didn't. It sounds like when you then moved to Atlanta, that was like a natural transition point for you into entrepreneurship. Why did you choose not to return to your career in education when you made that move? Right. So I was um, actually a horrible pregnant person. I was pregnant with my second daughter um, when we, my family and I, we were still in Florida. And um, I knew that I wanted to resign from that position and jump into entrepreneurship, but writing still was not at the forefront of my thoughts. It was, it was something that I, maybe I was running from it. Um, I just knew that I wanted to start a nonprofit and I was going to teach women and girls um, leadership and entrepreneurship. It was all the things that I noticed were missing in the school system. I had been mm. an assistant principal for all those years. And so I just created a mentorship program that I knew would work in the district. And I went back and I packaged it and I sold it. Um, after doing that, I also learned that you have to sell something in order to generate money. You cannot just be existing and, and say that you're running a business. It's truly a hobby. So I started taking classes at the Urban League and I launched a cosmetics line because I had 500 women and, and teen girls that were a part of our audience. So I knew if, what could I sell to them? Well, obviously lipstick and lip gloss was something that myself and my daughters loved. So we created that product. What I started noticing then in moving to Atlanta after creating that product was that self-esteem was a huge issue for women and girls. Why, you know, go to photo shoots. This put me into the kind of fashion and beauty industry in Atlanta and it was growing. It was the baby version of what Atlanta is today. But at that time, um, I would just be on set and, you know, women would be looking amazing, makeup done, hair done, all of those things. And they would make comments like, that's not my good side. Don't photograph me that way. And I'm like, what is this about? Like, so we're all, you know, I'm looking at myself. I'm, I'm questioning my self-worth. I've been in a position that I've worked very hard to attain. And now I've resigned from that. Is my self-worth tied to my ability to generate an income? All those questions, right? So self-worth just kept coming to the forefront. 
And I knew that these girls were looking at all of us. Girls continue to look at us as women, you know, to set the example. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to create something that allows women and teen girls, non-traditional beauties, to see themselves as beautiful. So I put together this whole photo shoot, this whole day, this whole retreat kind of thing. And my answer, because I didn't have a budget to um, do like Ebony, Essence, you know, to advertise Mm -hmm. this cosmetics line, I decided, well, I'm going to write a book because I know that I can take this book. And I can send it to places. I can send it to people. It can open doors that maybe I can't open for myself. So that is how I got back to writing was to create this book. Now, just to give you a little insight there with the book, I enlisted 21 women and teen girls, non-traditional beauties. We dealt with alopecia at a time when people weren't really talking about that. We dealt with being very fair, um, being very dark, someone with lots of freckles, overweight, um, considered overweight based on society standards, Mm. just all kinds of non-traditional beauties. And so we had this retreat, I had them to talk, and then I went back and wrote each of their stories as if they were speaking. So what happened is when I called them to read their stories to them, everybody cried. And I was like, so you like it? Because I was concerned that they wouldn't like it. Mm. That was how I learned what ghostwriting was. Wow. And so I know you pivoted through nine companies in the nine years you've been an entrepreneur and fail fast is a very prevalent theme in entrepreneurship. And I'm seeing how for you, one opportunity kind of segued into the next, into the next. But how did you know that from writing 13th and Joan was just the right platform that you wanted to grow? Sure. I love sharing that as entrepreneurs, the way that you know that you are on what I call fertile ground is because you will bear a harvest. Many of the businesses, the nonprofit, I've never set up a business that wasn't purpose to help someone else. I've never looked at a business idea and thought I can make a lot of money. I'm always building a business idea based on helping someone, a problem that I think Mm -hmm. I can solve. But no matter how hard I worked, and I worked for five years with a nonprofit, I was not profitable. I was continuing to rob Peter to pay Paul. I was taking a little bit from our grocery budget to buy snacks for the girls. I was flying back and forth from Atlanta to Florida and just barely breaking even. So at some point after five years, that is when you should definitely look at that curve. And it's not to say to give up on your dreams if you truly believe in them, but you will see some fertile ground or you'll see some profit from that. You'll see something that shows you that this is the right path. And what I learned is that that is sometimes in the form of resources. Doesn't always mean money. Resources gives you access to whatever it is that you need in order to make the next steps. So I was not on fertile ground. Those businesses that I launched after um, the foundation was not on fertile ground. When you're making a small amount of money, but you cannot cover your expenses, you are still engaged in a hobby. What let me know that 13th and Joan was the way is the way that the book took off. And I did not have that intent for it. So I knew that that was something different. 
Mm. So your first ghostwriting client came from a VH1 show. How did you land that client? Like how, how do we make the leap in your story from that first book to now VH1 is knocking at your door? Exactly. So I, again, fertile ground, it's like opportunities will flow to you. Um, you know, I just believe that God will send you what he intends for you to have when you are walking in the purpose that he set forth versus the one that you believe should be for yourself. So I wrote that book. Um, that book had an amazing, I did all the same stuff I did when I was 10, playing the book signing. I had a book launch at Barnes and Noble. It was amazing. The manager at the store said, this was great. We haven't had a signing like this before. I didn't have a name. I was just a person, an everyday hero, as I refer to them. And um, so I knew that was great. And then I just got a, a random phone call. Hey, we have someone who is going to be doing a show on BH1. Can you write a book in 30 days? And I was like, yes, yeah, I can. I can write a book in 30 days. Like, is the person available to talk to me or do I have to just kind of write this from whatever? And they're like, oh no, you know, she can talk to you. She's, and we talked and talked and it was really just like conversation. And I was able to convey her feelings. And that was what kicked it off. And then one referral led to another. I never even made 13th and Joan a public thing because I felt like after I wrote that book, I was like, okay, great. I'm, I'm the female version of Tyler Perry now. I'm going to do stage plays. Again, my plans. You know, I'm going to do mm. theatrical productions, which was another spinoff of that. I just took those characters, the ladies that were in the book, and I turned them into characters and said, well, what if this happened? What if it went this way? And that created a play from it. Now my plays, they were selling out in Atlanta, packed house. Wow. But again, not a multitude of profit after it was all said and done. Here again, fertile ground. No matter how much I wanted to do it, the people were there. People still DM me and say, when is the next play? But it was not super profitable the way that I know it could be because that wasn't where God wanted me at the time. Ooh, so I think I also heard that by the end of 2020, you'll be on track to publish 200 titles in four years. So first of all, congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I mean, I think that works out to four books a month, one book a week. Logistically, how are you pumping out this much volume? How is your company structured to successfully deliver quality? Yeah, well, we have um, initiatives. I'm really big on initiatives and finding the underserved population. Um, a couple of years ago, I want to say about three years ago, I started to be really, really, really sensitive to um, the unarmed, you know, Black men that were victimized by police brutality. And I am ashamed to say that it really didn't resonate with me um, that way until such a short period of time ago, but it did. And it, it struck me. And one day I saw my husband walking in and I thought, wow, he could really leave out of the door and you know, one random incident could, could change our lives. And so I thought, well, gosh, what are we doing with the stories of Black men? I really know a lot of women, you know, when I look at our clientele, women are killing it. Women follow through. Um, they know what they want. I want to write a book. 
I have my budget, I'm ready to go. That's what we get with women. With men, there's a lot of hesitation. There's a lot of skepticism in if they have the ability to do it. And it's not to say that um, men aren't fully capable or that they don't believe in themselves. It's just that society has, you know, really done so much to disarm um, black men of their power. So I started an initiative called 100 Seeds of Promise. And that was my commitment to 100 black men to become published authors. We would take them through the mm. process of publishing. We would teach them um, the business of publishing. And so that initiative, we did research and there was nothing else out there like it. So that 100 authors obviously mm-hmm. contributed to those numbers and they are in motion right now. Those authors are, we're actually, registration will now, because we decided it will be an ongoing program, um, opens every February. Every Black History Month, we're like, where are the Black men who have stories? We know you do. Let's find you and let's, you know, cultivate this opportunity. So we're really, really excited about that. But that contributes largely to the numbers, the 100 Seas of Promise. Wow. I love that. And something you said just really resonated about the way society is structured sometimes does silence our Black men. Um, The image that came to mind, this is just mundane, but when our kids were really little, things happened at day in daycare. I have two little ones. And sometimes my husband would get upset. So my husband's 6'4", big Black guy, he goes to the daycare. He's upset about something and he's speaking calmly, but the women are like cowering, right? Yeah. <laughs> so now he's like, no, I'm not talking to those women anymore. Please go go let them know because I'm like this teeny woman. So, you know, yeah. non-threatening. Yeah. But because of that, I can see why society's reaction to Black men sometimes makes them silent. And so yeah. I love the initiative that you've put out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And it hurts my heart. I actually did a theatrical production that was all men. And the men were so grateful to have the opportunity. And I'm like, what? They they said, no one lets us talk. And so the point of the play was so that women, I knew that women, when they saw all these amazing guys, that they would fill the seats. And they did. But we couldn't talk back. We had to just listen. And I, I really am super big on, you know, being an advocate for men's voices, that they are able to tell their stories unapologetically and that they don't have to subscribe to any of the, um, you know, ills of society to be able to do that. So that's what we're doing with these men. And it's just miraculous to see them write and to tell their truths and the things that they want to talk about. And they're not worried about, you know, what someone's reaction is going to be. So I'm, I'm loving the, you know, the time with these gentlemen. It's beautiful. Oh, wow. I cannot wait to see one of those titles hit the New York Times bestsellers list. That would be yes, amazing. Yes. By definition, a ghost writer has to remain in the shadows. Um, I noticed when you were referring to your first client, you didn't really call them out by name. And right. By definition, you kind of have to protect their identity. But that being said, as a business owner, how do you showcase your work and in turn attract clients? Because people need to see what they could potentially get. Right. So, you know, one thing about ghostwriting that has um, really done well for me is that word of mouth is how I've gotten, you know, my business. It's not really me um, pitching myself per se to specific clients. That's one thing. Um, The second thing is that I've had a couple of clients who were so excited about 
the work that they've asked me to be on the book with them. So I've had them say, well, you know what, let me add your name to this as well. So there are writing credits that I often get, um, which is great. The other part of that that I'm working on this year, because I've really been showcasing or, you know, really building the dreams of others is to pen another book myself. That is not about writing. I've been doing a lot of, you know, how to writing books, a lot of um, affirmation kinds of things. But I'm actually working on a romance novel, which is super saucy. It's not Ooh. safe at all. It's you know, there's a lot going on in there. And so I'm having the time of my life doing that. But I think it will also be an opportunity for people to kind of see me writing and in that space. So I'm really looking forward to that. Wow. I cannot wait to read that. As much as I love to read self-help and business books, I love romance as a, as a genre just to kind of turn off your, your mind. So I'm, look, I'm looking forward to that. I'll be on the lookout. Um, so I've also spoken to people who are really interested in writing their own books. So just everyday people who would rather self-publish than work with a, a publishing house just because they feel like they don't get enough of the profits or they don't get enough support in promoting. So how is your approach um, at 13th and Joan different? You know, we're really different because I, too, was an author, you know, trying to make that determination as mm -hmm. to whether or not to self-publish or, you know, what, what route I should take. And so the company that I constructed, it really is a hidden gem. People don't understand um, the magnitude of what we're giving away, I should say. Um, so we do, we teach our authors a lot about the business, which is something that you don't really get it in self-publishing. And then we also have, you know, the gift of association because we do publish a lot of high profile um, clients. A lot of times when authors are able to have the backing of a publishing house, it can make a difference in terms of credibility. But what I say to authors is that, you know, our royalty splits are like the lowest in the industry. And I don't say that to say like, oh, I'm so proud that we're the lowest in the industry. It's just that I really believe that authors should maintain the rights to their books. I believe that authors should also maintain um, profits, you know, in any way possible. And then when you're in business with someone, such as a publishing house, to be able for it to be mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. So so could I interject right there so we could break down a couple concepts here. Mm -hmm. First, what is a royalty and what is that typical split and how is yours much lower? So if someone is out shopping, what is a reasonable split for a publishing house to be asking for from them? And then when you say keep the rights, what does that mean? Am I, am I signing away the rights to my, my work after I've written it? Please Absolutely. break that down. Sure. So a royalty is the money that is left over after a book has been sold and the cost of printing that book has been subtracted. Um, so whatever the cost of production is, is taken away. And the royalty is the profit that's left over for whatever that book has been priced at. Okay. Um, in traditional publishing houses, an author may come with a manuscript that they have written themselves and they sign with the publishing um, house. That royalty that they may receive would probably be somewhere between 20 
20 at most, um, somewhere between 10 to 20%. And that is in favor of the publishing house. Okay. Now, wow. in addition to that, <laughs> things are much different. They're ever evolving in this industry. So in the days of old, if you actually got a publishing deal, that also meant that you were given a budget, you know, for marketing, a budget for a book tour. Those days are gone. Those kinds of scenarios exist for mega authors, you know, those who already come with a name in tow, those who already have an audience established and people who want their books. So the publishing house knows that they're not taking a significant risk. Um, in, in the case of, you know, an everyday hero, that is not the case. And so it's almost as though you're coming to a publishing house. If you're not already established, you're not really offering them anything of value unless the content that you have is something that they truly believe in and they want to get out. If that is the case, they then want to own the rights to it so that they can reproduce and sell it as they see fit. The other thing that happens is that um, when, you, when you don't own the rights, you also give up a lot of creative control. So say, for example, the book that I'm writing right now, I may submit that to a traditional publishing house and they may say, well, we want to change the plot. We want to change the characters. Well, we want to make this character uh, biracial instead of African-American. You know, those are the rights of the publishing house to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Whereas as a creator, that might not be your vision or your goal. And so with 13th and Joan, we work really hard with our authors to, number one, assist them in the evolution of their creativity versus changing it. If you have a vision for your story, we want to stay as close to that vision as possible, but just help you to know what is valued in the market, you know, what people are reading, and to be in alignment with best practices in terms of writing and the structure and all of those things. So that's number one. Number two, um, many of our authors... Um, it is almost similar to a self-publishing model. However, we still have a slight backing. So with that, we would not, um, they would own the rights, the copyright. It is in the author's name, which is always great because you can take that content, you can produce a movie, you can, you know, turn it into so many different things, which is another thing that we teach our authors how to monetize their books in many different ways, take that same information and leverage it many different ways. So there's that. Um, as opposed to a publishing house that's taking 80%, we maintain a 10% royalty. That 10% is more so just for us to maintain titles, you know, maintain the accuracy of your title. There's all kinds of things that go on with piracy and all those. So we do a lot with um, helping our authors. And then we also help them with, you know, upcoming opportunities. Here is something that you should attend. We send things out to our authors on a regular basis to kind of help them keep their careers as authors going. Now, we have business structures with authors where the royalties and percentages are different. We have business structures where we do own rights in some instances. That is just an individual case where we're either acquiring content or, um, you know, we feel very compelled about a specific story. But the majority of our authors are in full ownership of what it is that they're producing. And we just want to help them to be the best because the market has not been created for us. And we want to make sure we have that space. Oh, you said so much right there. Of course, now I'm, I'm percolating with questions. So um, I like that you answered part of my question here. So you're taking a 10% 
royalty in general, but then you you have differing business models that allow you to take more of a royalty. Um, the reason I'm honing in on that is because you're hearing this narrative these days about print being dead. And so for you, after, is it six years with 13 and Jones so far? Um, five. Five years. So after five years of being in business, I'm just, mo- I'm just wondering, how have you adapted your business model so you can stay open, stay alive and, you know, remain on the cutting edge? Mm-hmm. Well, one major thing for us is that um, we do a, our program that is really the most successful is author coaching. And so that is when we do a lot of the teaching, a lot of the instruction, a lot of the um, coaching the author through the process. That is what our clientele wants and needs. And so that's really a business model that's been very successful for us. Um, The other side of that is that ghostwriting is not a cheap service. It is a service that costs because you are doing all of the work. So it's essentially our, you know, black card, if you will, of services. So we only offer three services. We keep it very simple. Um, We know that streamlining services that way helps to not confuse our clientele. And so that's exactly, you know, how we keep everything going and we're growing, you know, instrumentally in growing as being instrumental in the, in the industry, but is also a reference, you know, and a resource to authors as they continue to, to move forward. Okay. And then another follow-up question there, you mentioned that you're teaching your authors how to monetize their written work. And so what are some of the more lucrative revenue streams that your authors can use to build their personal brands? Right. Well, the the thing that people have to realize is that, you know, people have this misconception that you're going to get rich off of a book. I'm going to make a million dollars from my book. That's not the way that this works. The way that it works is that the book is a key that opens doors of opportunity. It did the same thing for me. You know, for me, writing one book introduced me to a career that would, you know, be my life. And so I did not know that I was a ghostwriter. Didn't didn't know that, but writing a book showed me that. That was another door that was open. Um, additionally, you know, writing theatrical productions, as I mentioned, had I stayed with it, I do know in my heart, which I will return to theatrical productions because I love it, but that can also be very profitable, you know, turning um, characters in and extending them. People love Content. I read recently that, you know, we used to say content is king. Now the saying is content is God because creating content is so necessary. It's what makes the world go round telling stories. Um, There are so many things you can do from it. You can branch off and do public speaking, you know, being a keynote speaker. You have all of your content in your book. And so you're not needing to rewrite things because you have it there. It's just a matter of structuring it. You can teach courses from your book. Um, there are no limits. I mean, I have a list of, I think about 30 things and I can't even recall them off the top of my head, but that we share with our authors are here are things that you can do. People turn, um, books and different sayings and quotes into merchandise and apparel. You know, there's just so much. So we want for authors to recognize that your book is just one part of the process, one, one part of the, you know, the story and the big piece of pie. I think that's really helpful for people to understand, especially that key part you mentioned about, you're not going to make a million dollars just based off of your book. Um, you have to be open 
to the other ways that this can be a jumping off point um, for you. Absolutely. You've mentioned a few of your programs. Talk us through the process with everyday people who are ready to write their stories with you. Sure. So we have a um, consultation. We take every author through a consultation. What we have learned over time, no matter how much we want to help everyone, everyone is not our client. We Mm -hmm. are looking for authors who want to invest in themselves and who are not looking for the cheap way to do that. And what I mean by the cheap way is that we're after quality Mm -hmm. over quantity. We don't want our books to look self-published. We don't want our authors to reflect not having a brand. Um, Those things are very important to us. And so we almost say like, you can't graduate from this program until you have, you know, these certain deliverables. Far too often we've seen people release books and there's no action. There's no traction. There's nothing behind, you know, having done it. And it's disheartening to put that much work and resources into something for it to just kind of fall flat. So we always want our authors to know what it is that they can be doing and should be doing for their careers. Um, We educate our authors to know that it is a business that they're starting. So when we find those individuals through the consultation, we're able to kind of know if someone is a good fit for us and if we can be of assistance to them. And then from there, um, they select an option for one of our programs, what is best needed. Some people decide they don't want to put pen to paper. You know, I'd rather just make an investment and I'd love to have someone write it. So we have a team of writers, you know, who are able to do that, who study under my tutelage and Um, conduct the ghostwriting. And then we have those who want to write it themselves, but they do feel like they need support, you know, with um, the manuscript, how to get started, where should this story go? What are, you know, the ways I should develop my characters, all of those things. And so we work with them through that. And then we have some individuals who just need to have their manuscript published. And we do that as well. So those are kind of the three services we walk you through, which of those would work for you. And then once that is done, we uh, come together with our team for a timeline to kind of establish what that looks like. Some people are like, you know, I want to write a book in 30 days. And I did take that challenge to do that. But we do caution authors to make sure that they've invested the time into um, you know, proper marketing and letting the world know that their book is on the way and all of those things. So once we find someone who's a good fit, we again, select a process or, um, one of the programs, and then we just dive in and we get started. Mm. So say this year, one of my goals is to write a book. Where should I start? You should always start with the consultation because that is where you can ask questions. That is where you can, um, you know, understand if what you're thinking is realistic for your goals. You kind of just see if everything is aligned. And um, the consultation is is a great thing that we offer. It's actually a complimentary consultation, which is amazing because that's another thing that, you know, a lot of people don't offer. But we do because we want authors to be educated and have access to information. So before I come to you for the consultation, do I need to start building my own audience? Do I need to put together like an outline of what I think my story is going to be? I feel like to come to you cold would be a waste of both of our time. So, you know, how do I prepare myself for that consultation? Sure. We actually have people that come to us cold every day, every day of the week. We have people that come to us. They know that 
you know, they know, okay, I know I have to make an investment. I know I have to make an investment of time, talent, and treasure. That's what we always educate. Time, talent, and treasure. You need all three to publish a book. Mm-hmm. But many of our authors have no pages. They have a concept or just an idea. You know, I think I want to write a book about this. And then we help them to structure that. Um, it really is important too. the book that you're writing. You know, if I am a writer and I want the world to see me as a writer, it might not make the most sense for me to write a book about, you know, how to start a circus. It just might not go. And so we want to also help authors to make sure that what they're doing is in alignment with kind of who you want to be when you grow up so that it all makes sense to your audience. But yeah, we get people all the time who are cold and they just know, I know that I want to write a book this year. Tell me what I need to do. And we, we start in on that. So it's kind of fun, actually, because it's a blank canvas. And then we get authors who are like, I know what I want. This is the way I want my cover to look. This is how many pages I want. This is what day I want my book to release. You know, and it doesn't matter. Um, we're, we're happy to serve either way. Okay. So now you have me thinking... But you said time, talent, and treasure. So now I need to save my coins. So what is that investment? What is that investment to work with you guys? Sure. So it totally depends on what it is that you're trying to do. We always tell everybody it's not a one size fits all. Some authors want to have a, um, you know, a marketing plan in place. Some authors don't want that. Some authors want a paperback book. Some authors want a hardcover book. You know, so it's kind of like when you go into um, FedEx and you say, I need copies. And they will say, well, are they front and back? Is it color? You know, there are lots of questions that have to be answered. So that's another reason why we have our authors kind of go through that consultation. That way we're able to provide a sound quote that's inclusive versus, you know, I, I don't like business where, Someone gives me a quote and then they come back and say, well, actually you need this too. And it's going to be this amount and this amount. So we love to be able to say, this is what it will cost. This is your investment. And here you go. The thing that I do think is friendly for our audience. And when I say our audience, I'm not making that about um, race. I'm making it about just who we serve is that we have a payment plan. Um, for all of our authors. And it works really, really well for people because it doesn't become, you know, a full amount. Some people do decide to do that. And then others like to do the installments. So that sometimes makes it more doable. Had I had that option, you know, that might've changed my life when I attempted to do what I wanted to do. So that was another thing that we put into place was installment options. Oh, that's really helpful. But I have to press you. What's what's a range? Give us a range of what the everyday hero is going to be expecting. Sure. I would say that you should not go into, you know, trying to publish a book under um, 3,500. I would say you should not so that you can have all that you need, you know, sound editing, a cover that is professionally designed, Um, your interior, like there's so many things that you need. So I always tell people at least have a budget of 3,500 to get yourself going to have what you need to have. Um, And that, that to me, you know, if you can produce a quality book for that amount, there are, you know, options that take you way higher than that. You can be up, you know, to $10,000 in producing a book and that's not, you know, ghostwriting, that's just publishing. But I would say bare bones for quality you should definitely have an investment of about 3,500. Okay. So on every investment, I think ROI. So for the everyday hero, if I spend 3,500, kind of keeping in mind that it's not all monetary, but it's also um, building a platform and other opportunities. What is that return? 
Well, that totally depends on the author. That's almost like saying, you know, if you make a record, how much money are you going to make from your record? That comes back to the hustle that happens after the book is done. That comes back to the opportunities that you put in place beforehand. You know, are you um, setting up speaking um, opportunities? Are you setting up, you know, a scenario for your books to actually sell? Or are you assuming that because you publish it, people are going to buy it? Do you have an audience that has been activated and for what reason? So I think it's definitely hard to say what an investment back would be because that really comes back to the author and the work that they put in to make that investment sound. What I do know, though, is that when you think about the investment, the return on things like documenting legacy, documenting information, um, showing that you are an expert in whatever it is that you're speaking in or about, um, showing that you have the wherewithal to set a goal that big and actually complete it. You know, to me, those are things that you can't really put a price tag on. Um, and it is kind of the one thing that every person should do. You know, what do you have to show for having lived this time here on earth? And so that to me becomes bigger than even the monetary goal because it turns into, you know, your lifelong kind of experience here. It's just necessary. I think every person should, should pin at least one book before they leave. Audrey, you've thrown down one massive challenge for every listener to pick up today. And thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Where can people connect if they really want to start their writer's journey with you? Absolutely. So we have a few different options. Um, at 13th and Joan, 13th and Joan, 13-T-H-A-N-D-J-O-A-N. All of our social media, our website, that can all be found there. Um, I also have a uh, mastermind, which is the Storytellers. It's Storytellers Inner Circle. So no the, but Storytellers Inner Circle. That is kind of my uh, tribe, as I call it. That is a group of individuals who they want to become better writers. And so I give kind of all of my writing strategies and skills and send out tools and, you know, books that I don't actually um, give to the masses to them. So that's a great mastermind to be a part of, to bounce ideas off of. So that's another group. And then last but not least, um, this year, I launched an international writers retreat. And so we're taking our first group of writers, 22 writers to Paris in June, which is going to be amazing. And then we're having um, big announcements about where we're going next. But Ardry Ori Retreats is where you can find all of that information. That's the website and the social media, Ardry Ori Retreats. And we will be continuing with these writing excursions, luxurious writing excursions, as I say, um, continuous. I, I want to do that until I'm not breathing anymore because going to places that are outside of our borders and being able to just, you know, put yourself in a different scenario just creates creativity like never before. So I want to expose people to that. So those are all the ways to connect and to get your writer's journey started. Ooh, I hope you're going to be sharing that Paris retreat on your Instagram because I'll be living vicariously through that. <laughs> I absolutely will. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much, Audrey. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and for allowing people to share their narratives. Thank you so much. 
I'm so glad you made it to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please go on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and write us a review. As always, don't forget to share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, anyone who cares to listen. We'll talk to you next time.